You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A bunch of scriptures to read this morning, and I believe this is the final, this is the final sermon in this Voice of Peace uh, series, and I want to talk this morning about the voice that exists in all of us, and you probably, if you spend enough time and enough months and enough years, you could probably whittle this down to one sentence that is spoken in your inner mind right when things are about, you ever have that moment where things are about, they're finally breaking through, right? The bud is starting to come out of the ground, and then there's this voice, this thought that just cripples you. It just crushes your motivation. Maybe it's something somebody else said, but it's always something that happens, but it triggers a voice that's sitting there inside of us, and it's a damning voice, and you could probably whittle it down to a sentence that is said very quietly and very cryptically to you that just takes your motivation from you. It creates an anxiety. It creates fear. It creates uh, a lack of stability. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. Before I even read the scriptures, though, I want to say this. There are a few attacks that will happen on this message today. Number one, you will sit here and try to diagnose what your voice is. Don't do that. Today's not the day for that. I want to explain something. I want to talk about something that happens. But I don't want anybody sitting here today saying, all right, I got to figure out my voice, because that will go down such a dark hole. Just listen to the voice of God speak over you today. Okay, I believe, like I do every Sunday, that somewhere between my lips and your ears, God is going to do something with this noise that I'm saying, and it's going to perform a work in your life. But don't try to diagnose. Just listen. Just listen. There might be a sense of confusion. Uh, You know, I feel like I have 10 voices. You probably have more. (laughs) We are legion, for we are many, right? (laughs) Just... Let, let, invite all the voices, you know what, invite every voice in your life to the table. Just invite them all over. Stop backing like that. There's a, you guys can come out. Let's stop playing hide and go seek. Come on out, invite them over, sit them down, get them some tea, get them some coffee, pour them a drink, and just let all the voices that wreak havoc on your life, let them listen to this sermon too. Some of us may say, that's just not me. It is. I promise you. And if you're saying it's not, that voice has you. So don't, don't worry about that. It is you. If you're wondering if this is you, it definitely is. It definitely is. And then there's going to be uh, maybe the worst of all of the attacks. Like some, some people in here might actually say, yes, this makes sense. And there's that sense where now you're going to expect instantaneous change and growth. No, it takes a long time. And Jesus knows it takes time. You know why? You want to know how I know that Jesus knows things take time? Because he showed up in the world of agriculture, not in the world of social media. He came when things, everything took time to grow, to send mail. Like Paul wrote a letter and hoped that the person who was bringing the letter to the church he wrote it to would be alive long enough to get it to that church, let alone, right? So he, he revealed himself at a time when everything took a long time. So don't rush yourself. Healing can start today, but it will never finish today. It will take the rest of your life for it to finish, and that is the way God designed it. So breathe. Don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. Okay. 
first section of scripture is a very famous passage from Ezekiel 37. It's the valley of dry bones. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to close your eyes and get to this place with Ezekiel. God puts Ezekiel into the spirit and he shows him a valley of dry bones. So just close your eyes. If you start to fall asleep, open them. Open them. But close your eyes and just be, be here with the Lord and with Ezekiel. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many of them on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to them, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on me slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, and this is the voice plaguing Israel right now. This is what they're saying to themselves. Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. And when you, when you study that from the rabbis of old, they were singing this as a song. Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. And I just want to say, when the voice that wreaks havoc on us becomes a song, you ever get a song stuck in your head? Anybody watch Miss Rachel on YouTube? My God, I've been singing Baby Put Your Pants On for the last year and a half. When a song gets in your head, it's worse than when it's just a voice. It stays there. It sings to you. And now Israel has, is singing this song to them. And it says, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I'll put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I'll place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. And you know, we're going we're gonna to stop right there. Um, I'll, I'll go to the other verses a little bit later. So this is important to me. Because a couple of years ago, when I was with my spiritual director, and I'm going to be vulnerable in front of everybody today, we were talking about this voice. We were talking about why can somebody do something to you that's bad, and then you just, you just brush it off. And then somebody else can do something that's just a little look or a comment at the right time, and it can set you off entirely. And one of the things he was talking about was that we all have a voice inside of us. And when somebody goes after you or in a situation happens or when you make a mistake, if it doesn't touch that voice, you handle it with patience, with grace, with mercy. But then other things can happen that maybe even aren't that bad and it 
plucks that voice and it wakes that voice up and all of a sudden you're now defending your life from this voice that's always trying to take it from you. So I was talking to a few people this week about it and one of the things Pastor Mark Arstead said was this voice, he said, you know, Bill, as you're talking to me about it, this voice kind of sounds like it makes us a little bit like zombies, you know, not quite dead but not quite alive. It just kind of has us living in the shadow land a little bit. I said, yes, that's exactly right. It doesn't show up until particular moments, and then the enemy uses that voice. So for months, Brother Randy had me work on discerning this voice. And Ian, you could put the voice of damnation, and you could put the first one up. My voice says... Not that you're going to mess up, but you're going to mess this up for everyone. That's what my voice says. It's taken, for some of you, this is the first time you're even hearing about this. It took years to work through this, but it made so much sense to me when I heard it, when I was finally able to discern it. It's not that I'm worried about messing up. It's that I'm worried that my mistakes are going to spill all over the table and then pour out onto everybody else's life, and I'm not just going to mess it up for me, but I'm going to mess it up for everybody. That's that voice that speaks. So there could be things that happen in my life, and it's fine. People could say even rude and nasty things to me, and it's fine. But if all of a sudden somebody's like, oh, man, thanks a lot, you know, whatever just happened, you know, now my day's bad, boom, it kicks in. And I'm now no longer mad at that person. I'm now in survival mode saying, no, 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 no. I don't, this voice can't be true. I don't want to think that I'm messing it up for everybody. That's me. That might not be yours. I can almost assure you if it sounds like yours, it's probably a little bit different. But this is, we want to talk about breakthrough and we could have superficial breakthrough services all we want. You really want to break through? Here's, here's the punchline of the sermon. You don't have to get the voice to stop. You just have to know that it's talking to you and it loses all of its power. You don't need to get it to stop. You'll never get it to stop. But the minute you know what it is, the minute you can discern that it's talking, it has lost all of its power. Because you're like, oh yeah, I know, I know. That's, that's not true. So I was thinking, how do I talk about this? All week, you should see my whiteboard. It looks like I'm trying to find the holy grail in there. I have arrows and lines and circles. Dan Savage saw it earlier. It's just a mess of notes. I was like, how do I talk about this? And then it dawned on me. At the very beginning of Lent, we all wrote down voices on those cards. Do you remember? We wrote down our or else voices, and I kept them. I've had them on the altar here every single Sunday. So I read them all. There was like 225 of them. And I compiled a list of nine other ones that are the average of the voices that we all wrote down. So I just want you to listen. These are not the exact ones written. I, I kept track of all the categories, and I, and I wrote them down in a way that summarizes what all of our voices are that we wrote down. So here's some you will always be your past. You do not try hard enough. 
you will never overcome. A few people wrote something like this. You must avoid risks to remain secure. You must avoid risks to remain secure. You're not appreciated. You have nothing worth saying. This one is specific to women, but it was written a lot. You're a bad parent, wife, and wait. You will never see your children serving the Lord. You are not worthy. No one knew we were going to do this. You all went to the altar and just wrote off the top of your head. Look at that list. We're carrying this around every day. We're walking around with these voices every day. They're in there talking to us, and they're sneaky. And the Holy Spirit is always saying, can these bones live? And somewhere between the Spirit's voice and our ears, those voices are saying, no, they can't. They can't live. They never will live. They'll never wake up. Unless, of course, you become a better wife. Unless, of course, you lose weight. Unless, of course, you can see your children worshiping at the altar. Then maybe these bones can live. You're going to be just like your parents. You're going to be not like your parents. Your kids are going to resent you. You're not worth somebody else's love. You mess things up for everyone. I don't want to talk about this like it's a sermon. This is a prophetic word. This is a prophetic word, and the prophetic word is not going to be directions. It's going to be the announcement that this is happening inside of us. And we need to open our lives to the Holy Spirit to discern. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter. I just need, I need to know what mine is. Like, that could become the new Salem anxiety is trying to figure out what our voice is. Don't, don't do that because ultimately it doesn't matter. There's voices talking to you. There's the Holy Spirit talking to you. And we need to hear the voice of peace. We need to know that these bones can live. Here's the interesting thing. When I wrote them down and sent them to Ian, I had this priestly pastoral feeling that something with that list is not right. Those aren't the voices. So this week's sermon preparation wasn't commentaries and books. It was prayer and quiet. Lord, why do I not feel right about this list? And the Lord said, because those voices are a trick to get you to think that the opposite of the voice is what you should be doing 
and that's the thing that's going to kill you. So I'll start with me. I hear in spiritual direction, oh, I know what my voice, now I know what trips me up. It's when that little voice shows up and says, Bill, you're going to ruin this for everybody. You're going to mess this up for everyone. So what does my body initially say? No, I'm not. I'm going to make this right for everyone. And that's the voice that will kill you. If you've ever read Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, I am plagiarizing it right now. This is the way that the demonic and the satanic work. The demonic gives you the first voice. You mess things up for everybody. The satanic comes in right behind it and says, now you need to overcome that voice. You need to make things right for everybody. And that's the voice that will drive you crazy because you can't do that. He's not wanting me to mess it up for everybody or make it right for everybody. He just wants me to show everybody what Jesus does when we get it right and when we don't. And to rest in that goodness. You will always be your past. So the opposite reaction is, I need to divorce myself from my past. That's satanic. Because God is still in your past. Amen? And so if you divorce yourself from your past, you're divorcing yourself from God. Do you see the trick? You'll always be your past. You know what, voice? No, I'm, I'm going to burn my past down and never talk about it again. Everywhere the sole of your foot treads is promised land, including your past. God always wants to have you take trips down memory lane so he could show you what he's redeeming in your life what he's redeeming, where he's brought you from, where his goodness opened up for you at times you didn't realize it. You will start to remember moments from your past better than they actually even happen. You don't try hard enough. So what do you do? I'm always going to try harder. And do you know what? You can always say that and infinitely grind yourself into dust just got to try harder. I just have to try harder. I just have to try harder. I'm going to overcome that voice. It says I don't try enough. I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to try harder. You're going to tr keep trying harder and harder and harder, and that will never be satisfied, and trying harder will turn into a lust. It's not about trying harder, not trying hard. It's about walking in wisdom and in rhythm with Jesus. Do you see how the voices can deceive? Is, is anyone trying? I know this is heavy. Maybe it's not heavy. Maybe it's boring. I'm just saying. Are we tracking? You must avoid risks to remain secure. Huh. You know what, Satan? Now I'm going to live a careless life. I'm going to travel to all the places. I'm going to buy all the houses. I'm going to invest all my money in all kinds of things. I'm going to start dating whoever I feel. I'm going to start taking chances. Stop. <laughs> Stop. The demonic voice says, you need to be more careful, and then you'll be secure. And then the satanic voice comes behind it and says, you know what? You really want to be secure? Start being more adventurous. And in reality, the Holy Spirit's just trying to teach us how to be content. Content. You're not appreciated. 
you have nothing worth saying. So what do we do? We try and create our own value to feel like we have something worth saying, or we start to say too many things to try to assume, to try to prove to ourselves that we have something worth saying. Anybody ever leave a conversation, get in your car and say, I spoke way too much? You ever get in the car and you're just like, ugh, what was that? I wish I could go back in time and punch myself in the face. If you're an introvert, if you're, if you're an extrovert, if you're an introvert, you ever get in the car and say, I really should have said something. I wonder how many times Jacqueline gets in the car and says to herself, I really should have said something. I should have told him to shut up and stop saying too many things. You're not appreciated. That will turn into the voice that says, make sure people know that they should be appreciating you and you'll become an accusatory person. It can just twist. Those are not the things. The voice that speaks to you has an energy that makes you want to do its opposite, and that's the part that eats us alive. You don't have to create your own value. You don't have to create your own voice, and nobody even has to give you a voice for you to have one because the word that spoke the universe into existence made you. You have a voice. Just because nobody listens doesn't mean that you don't have a voice and doesn't mean that it's not worth saying. We cannot put our value in other people's responses to us. We will die doing that. Your value comes from the Holy Spirit, not from somebody's amen or lack thereof. I'm preaching to myself right now, just so you know. I heard, I heard that. I heard that, Pastor Bill. I will write that down. You're a bad parent, a bad wife, a bad weight. Oh, so many about this. So many about this. So we start trying to be a better parent, a better spouse, start trying to lose weight. Uh, we went through COVID, and then I had two foot surgeries, and I got up to 270 pounds. I know. Apparently, that's probably how I hurt myself when I stepped on the Lego. Like Shrek stepping on it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, yo, I can't let this happen. And I started to hear voices. People won't respect you if you can't control your weight. You're going to look depressed if you can't control your weight. These are things I was thinking. I'm opening myself up to all y'all right now. And then I'm at my doctor, and we're going through... The fun, when, you, when you're going to start to eat right, you got to go get blood work and you got to see where all your numbers are. It's a terrible day. It's a terrible day when they mail you your numbers and there's like highlighter everywhere. I'm like, oh my God. And she said, how much, where do you want to be? And I said, I want to get to 225, 230. That's, that's, that would be a great goal to get down to 225, 230. And she said, do it in two years. I'm like, what is wrong with you? She said, if you lose weight fast, you'll be doing it to lose weight. If you lose weight slowly, you'll be doing it to have a better lifestyle. And it dawned on me, I was going to lose weight for you. For you. So that I could feel like a better pastor. We need to take care of ourselves to be healthy. Not to increase our value. And not to be more lovable. And not to look more competent. There is a fine line here. 
but there's a way to become obsessed with it, and then there's a way to completely let those things go. You know, I'm not even going to try to be a good parent. I'm not even going to try to be a good spouse. I'm not even going to try to be healthy. I'm just going to let God take care of everything. Please don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus wants us to be healthy parents, not good parents. He wants us to be healthy spouse, not a good spouse. He wants us to raise healthy kids, not good kids. He wants us to be physically healthy. And the only way we can do that is by doing the best we can that day, that week, that month, and that year. You're not going to be in it every year to do this the same level of good every year. You're going to have years that take from you so much, the best you can do is survive. Amen? You're going to have other years where life gives you space to work on these things. And when it gives you that space, work on it. But work on it the best you can. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is when Moses says, how am I going to go lead the people out of Egypt? And God says, what's in your hand? Just take what you got. I, I did a wedding on Wednesday, and I said to the bride and groom, they filled up water jars with water, and Jesus turned it to wine. But we have to fill it up with water first. We have to do the part we can do, and then Jesus does other better things. But he doesn't do those other better things until we fill up the situation with what we can. Your value is not in those things. It's good to be healthy. But our value does not come from that. Our lovability does not come from that. And only anybody who loves you and treats you differently because of your physical health has, is steeped in materialism in ways that they probably couldn't ever imagine. The worst materialism in America has nothing to do with money. It has to do with our bodies. Money is the second worst form of materialism in America. The number one form of it is our body. And voices speak all day long about those things. Your value is not in that. It doesn't mean you let them go, and it doesn't mean you obsess over them. It means you say, what is the best I can do right now in my life to be healthy? And that's all you can do. You'll never see your children serving the Lord. So what happens when we hear that voice? especially parents with teenagers or kids who are older, grown. You know what it makes us do? On the one hand, it makes us start to angle whenever we're around those kids. They're coming over for dinner. Let me, let me say things. Let me try to get them to go to church. You know, when they talk about something good that's happening in their life, let me tell them Jesus did it. <laughs> let me make sure they know that Jesus did it because they're not expecting you to say that. They're going to get saved because you did that. They're not going to be annoyed that every time they share something good with you, you talk about Jesus. They're going to get saved. I'm, I'm being sarcastic. You ever pray for dinner? Lord Jesus, thank you for this food, and thank you for everyone at the table, and thank you for the salvation. It's like, hold on. It's going to cause us to angle. Why? Here's the thing. Not because we care about our kids. Because we need to see them worship. So I'm trying to get them saved for me so that I can feel like a good parent, so that I know that my Savior lives, so that I can be convinced of my doubts, 
We don't, please remind me of this when my kids are older. Like literally remind me of this when my kids are older. You don't need to see your kids serving the Lord. You need to see the, that the Lord has never stopped serving your kids. That's where the security comes from. It doesn't come from the fact that they're serving him or not serving him. It comes from the fact that he will never stop serving them and he will serve them right into heaven because that's what he does. We think we need to see the result. I need to see my kids worshiping. That's not what you need to see because you know what? If you really do go down that road, you know how much they can fake you out? Come to church twice and you're happy. If they start using some Christian terms, you're happy. There's plenty of times, plenty of times I've been here worshiping God and I wasn't walking with Jesus. But everyone thought I was. I was good at being bad. I brought home good grades so that I didn't get grounded so I could go out and do stupid things. But, you know, get good grades, worship at church, go to youth group, no one's on your back. Now you can go have all the fun. These kids don't know how to be bad anymore. I'm going to teach them a lesson on how to do it. <laughs> you could see them worshiping and think they're where you want them to be, and God's like, they're nowhere near where I want them to be. What we need to see is that he serves them and will never stop serving them. Uh, we could go on and on and on and on, and it works. These are just examples. It works. There's voice that speaks something negative to you, and then you immediately think, I'm going to do its opposite, and then that's the thing that kills you. So what happens? Jesus needs to kill you. Kill you until you are so super dead it's not even funny. Until you're not only nearly dead, you're really most sincerely dead. And yes, I did quote the Wizard of Oz just now. <laughs> he showed them dry bones. Listen, in our mind, we see skeletons when we look into the valley of dry bones. But listen, when they started to heal, they became skeletons became skeletons. They were not skeletons. They were unrecognizable dust. As Robert Jensen said, you couldn't look at the Valley of Dry Bones and say, oh, poor so-and-so, because you wouldn't be able to know who it was. God wants Ezekiel to know that they are so dead. And then in the story that we were going to read today of Jesus raising Lazarus, Jesus needs Lazarus to be rotting for four days before he goes. Because he needs us to know that he's dead, dead. Because we can't be partially alive, he needs to finish these voices in our life. Finish the front end of the voice and finish the other side of it too. So if you feel like you're in a season where you're getting more and more empty as time goes on, it's because he's creating the emptiness in you that he hovers over for new creation to happen. Don't fight the uprooting process. Don't fight the emptying process. Let him empty you. You will feel empty. You will 
feel alone. You will feel cut off. But it's because he's clearing the threshing floor so that a new let there be can enter your life. As Jesus is going to Lazarus' tomb, hears all the voices. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Rabbi, the Jews just are now seeking to stone you. You're going to go there again? Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Let us go that we may die with Jesus also. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I know that he'll raise, not today, but in, in the last day. Again, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Could he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead for four days. Do you hear all these voices? Jesus moves through the voices, but do you know what he does with them? Every time one of those voices is spoken to him, that person comes with him. Let's go die with him. Come with me, Thomas. If you had been here, my brother would be alive. Come with me, Mary. If you had been here, my brother would be alive. Come with me, Martha. The tomb is going to stink. Come with me to it. He brings all the voices to the tomb. Takes Lazarus out and puts those voices in and rolls the stone back over. He doesn't want you rebuking these voices. He wants you bringing them to him. What does he say when he's standing at Lazarus' tomb? Father, I have said these things not for myself, but so that those around me might hear. We need to be where Jesus is praying so all the voices in our life can hear him. Not you, him. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I have, I don't know how to even describe this. I have this sense of like, the feeling you get when you drive past like a lot of flashing red lights, and then like, I don't know, you get, you get closer to the scene and you see like a kid's bike is in the road upside down or something, and you know, you get that feeling like, oh my God, I feel, I don't feel right after seeing that. Like I've had that feeling all week because of this. I don't know if it's my concern that some of us are just going to act like this isn't happening in our life. I don't know if it's just the stench that those voices give off in our lives. But I just really feel, I really feel like we need to take our emotional and mental healing seriously. I really feel like we're not all the way okay. We're not as okay as we used to be. And we're just going day after day. It's turning into the next day and the next day and the next day. And we just need Jesus. So I said, I've been praying and I said, Lord, what do you say after this? I don't want to talk about this because I don't have anything good to say at the end of it. I could tell you all about the voices. But what do we tell them? And the Holy Spirit's like, they have to listen to me. I was like, that's not enough. Listen to you. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is the beauty of the seasons of the church. We're about to ride into Jerusalem with Jesus on Palm Sunday. We're about to walk with him to the upper room on Maundy Thursday. 
We're about to hear him speak on the cross. We're going to hear the silence of Holy Saturday. We're going to hear the explosive sound of resurrection on Easter. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, tell them that I want them to be attentive to this holy season that we're in and listen to the sounds of Palm Sunday, Holy Week, Easter. The sounds, the words that Jesus says, the feeling we all get, pay attention. Our job, the water that we can put into the water pots is our attention. We can't heal ourselves. We can't silence the voices. We can't even really encourage ourselves because if we could encourage ourselves, let's face the facts, we would have no bad days if we were able to encourage ourselves. We can't. We can't. What we can do is be attentive to what Jesus is saying during this season. Everything in us needs to hear, as Randall Worley used to say, the sound of Christ and him crucified the sound of it. I told Jacqueline this morning, my biggest fear for this sermon is that I don't have a punchline. I just believe God is inviting you into his life in a unique way so that what is in you can be exposed by his light and healed we need to be aware we just need to be aware an altar call you'd leave here hearing the same things I've been to thousands of altar calls still hear it but the more I hear him talk to the things that speak inside of me the more you start to realize this isn't from him I don't need to obey that voice. I don't need to do its opposite. I need to let my shepherd speak and get me back to green pastures again. We don't do well with this psychological stuff because we just put our head down and keep on going. It's for somebody else. This stuff is the stuff for head shrinkers. He wants to speak over you and calm the storm in your mind and in your soul. He wants to say, peace, be still, so that you can feel calm on the inside. My, I'm not going to say who it is, one of my really good friends texted me at 6.30 this morning. I pray for this person every day of my life. Haven't seen them in probably four years. Texted me and said, hey, what do you think would change in me first? if I dove into this Christian thing. So I'm like, I got him. No. I said, honestly, an inner stillness on the inside. He said, no way. I said, yeah. I think that's what God wants, is to make the seas still on the inside. I said, so you could sleep. No way. You could, just, you could just feel it right there. No way. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine it's not about the external. Imagine it's what God wants to give us on the inside. Just a peace to move through our trials like Jesus moved to Lazarus' tomb. Just 
move through the voices. Bring them all with us for the spectacle of God's grace, right? Just imagine being able to fail and let it be just that and not tied to like a genealogy of mental thoughts about it. Just get back up. Dust yourself off. Get ready to trip again. Get back up. Dust yourself off. Get ready to trip again. Without the story behind every failure just bombarding us every time. I don't think that's going to happen in a week. But I think that's one of the things, Jacqueline and I believe strongly, that's one of the things that God wants to have happen at Salem Tabernacle is that we find an inner stillness in our soul so that we could be reintroduced to ourselves and know who we really are and know what our past really means, not the meaning we've assigned to it, but what it really means and what our purpose is and what we're here for, and the good that we can do in a day. We don't see it. We don't see even the good that we can do in a day because we're just trying to get through the noise. Lord Jesus, I pray a different prayer over this meal today. You invite us to this table so that we could hear the words, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood spilled for you. I pray today that we would truly know that because you love us, you gave us this gift of the ability to touch your physical body and to bring you all the way into ourselves through the act of eating. Prepare us right now to come to your table and to have a physical encounter with the living Christ. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would get all preconceived notions of the Lord's table out of our mind. The best ones and the worst ones, just all preconceived notions of this moment out of our mind. And I pray that you would clear the threshing floor of our soul so that we would come to you that we would reach out to you and when we receive this bread to have the healing process begin. And I pray that the beginning of the healing process would be exactly what happened to you at this table. Thanksgiving filled your soul. I pray that step one would be to walk out of here today filled with a renewed thanksgiving. A thanksgiving that is so rooted in you that we don't even know what it's over. We just feel it. It's not thankful for. It's just thankful. Like that thanksgiving would become part of our personality. That it would become part of our inner disposition. That it would become part of our personhood. That it would become part of our ontological makeup. That thanksgiving would be part of who we are. Not thanksgiving because, but thanksgiving itself. That it would just... Eucharist, that it would just great thanksgiving would come out of us. And in that environment that we would meet you and the true voice that speaks peace to the destabilized waters, that speaks peace to anxiety, that speaks peace
peace to sleeplessness, that speaks peace to fear of failure, that speaks peace over our bodily insecurities, that speaks peace over our loneliness, over the damage done to us, the damage we've done to others, that it would speak peace over our lives. When we touch your body today, I pray that peace would happen and that over the next few weeks you would help us understand the voices that wreak havoc on our life and the voice that puts us back together again. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would wash us clean with your blood, that you would give us a clean slate right now as we approach your table, and that we could come to you in unity and constancy and peace and have you sing over our life. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Elder George will be here. Elder Ron would be here. Come and receive the body of the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.